How we doing? It's so good to see you here together this morning. Welcome and howdy to Friends and Family Day. It's been said probably 60, 70, 80 times, but don't worry, we're just getting started. My name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers here, and if this is your first time, welcome. We are so glad that you've decided to be with us today. And listen, as days go, free meal, fun outside, pony rides, all the fun. It's going to be a good day. And again, it's good to be with you. But listen, listen. I know there's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of reasons that we might be together as a, as a group. In fact, right now, there are people that are going to be gathering all over our city, state, country. And they're going to be gathered for a whole lot of different reasons. But I want to be incredibly clear. We have one central reason that we come together here. And is to rally around one name. There is no other reason for you and I. Have you ever considered? I mean, just kind of look around. Go ahead and look at each other, would you? I, I can wait. Go ahead. Look, look at each other. There is no reason that you should be in the same room with this group of people. I mean, we are a weird, eclectic bunch, but we are here because of one name that draws all people to him. The name is Jesus Christ. And listen, I just want you to know, if you don't know this Jesus, I just want you to know that our heartbeat for you is that you know him and you'd come to find the life and the joy and the salvation and the peace that comes from a relationship with God because we have found that he takes our garbage and he has this way of creating masterpieces out of what we've done wrong. He has fixed our past so it no longer bleeds into our present or our future. He gives purpose for today and he gives hope for tomorrow. He is the one that heaven and earth are created for. He is the reason you are here today. And he is the one who can save you from all of your failures, mistakes, ashamedness, everything. We are here because of Jesus Christ. And I'm just glad that you're here with us. So, with that said, thanks for being here. Have a great rest of the day. You're, uh, you're going, Really? No, here we go. Grab your Bibles. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. We'll be there in just a moment. We're in a series called Just Like Barnabas because our Bible is full of some incredible events and incredible individuals. We hear about the story of Moses, who led over a million individuals out of slavery into the promised land, the homeland now of the Israelites. They cross through water. It's parted before them. There's miracles in the wilderness. There's a man named Noah who, because of God's revelation to him, he builds a giant boat called an ark. That's right, an ark. And because of him, he and his family survived the cataclysmic flood. There's a boy named David who was a shepherd, but he then defeats a giant, liberating a nation, becoming its king. There are all these stories. There's a young woman named Esther who was lifted up out of obscurity through what was the very first, very first beauty pageant of the world by a king. She becomes a queen who then saves her people. Why am I telling you all this? The Bible is full of men and women, and we often look at them and go, I could never be like that. I could never do that. I will never lead a group of people out of bondage. I will never create a life-saving ship. I will never defeat a giant, although to Josh Diggs, most everyone is a giant. But, you know, I may never do these things, but here's what I want you to know. And the reason behind this entire teaching is this phrase right here, is that we can be just like Barnabas. Even though you may not be like anyone else, you can be like him. You say, well, who is this guy named Barnabas? We've been looking at his life. The name Barnabas is really not this guy's name. His real name is Joseph. But he was given a nickname, 
Barnabas by the believers because, because that nickname means son of encourager or son of encouragement or son of exhortation. And because of who he was, because of the kind of person he was, and when he was around, you were just better. They said, your name, your name is Barnabas. Listen, you may not be able to do certain things, but every one of us can change the world by being encouragers. And so this week, we're looking at this one idea, and really it's very good and appropriate that we're in this text today because it's the idea behind what we're doing here. And it's just one word, it's just one word, it's the word welcome. Everybody say, welcome. Oh, I love it. Welcome, welcome. We often use this word. In fact, I'll get up here and I often say good morning and welcome. But that word is such an interesting word. It means a couple things. One, it means a kindly greeting. Doesn't that sound nice? A kindly greeting. It comes from an old English word. But it also means one who's coming suits another's pleasure, desire, or choice. In other words, when you welcome someone, it is more than simply a howdy, a hi or a good day, it is that I want you to draw near because when you're around, I feel happy. That's what this means. But here's the thing. I don't know everyone in this room and I don't know your story. Some of you I know incredibly well. Others of you will get to meet for the first time today and I'm so excited. But here's the one thing I know about everyone in this room. Regardless of your story, it's simply this. Although we always love to be welcome, the reality is we have all felt unwelcome. From time to time, haven't we? Come on, how many of you remember middle school? Let's get honest here. You had the lunch tables, you had the cool kids, and then your table, right? Or is that just me? Am I getting too personal here? And I was homeschooled, by the way, so that really tells you how, I mean, can't I sit with you? No, dude, you're such a loser. But we've all felt unwelcome from time to time, haven't we? A moment where we thought we could come into relationship and yet someone, instead of saying, come on, they put their hand out. And isn't it also true, many of us, we haven't just felt unwelcome, but we have actually at times been the ones to put the hand out. Why are we talking about this? Here's why we're talking about this. Friend, if you don't hear anything else, hear this. We as a believing body always talk about what we call the gospel. That word means good news. Here's the good news. The good news is that you... And I were the outsiders because of our sin. We had offended a righteous God, gave God the middle finger and said, I'm leaving. And God in his grace and kindness said, I cannot live without you. So he sent Jesus, God in a bod, to earth. And he brought the mail that said, you have been invited back home. And he delivered that piece of mail on the cross. The gospel is, you are welcome You are welcome. And even if you've been rejected by others, you need to know that the gospel says you are welcome with God. Not because of your goodness, but because of God's goodness through Christ Jesus. If you don't hear anything else, you need to know you are welcome with God and you are welcome with his people. And I don't know what your past is. Maybe you've been in a church before where you were anything but welcome. I want you to understand that a bad representation of God is not the same thing as God. And someone who simply miss represents God. Do not allow a misrepresentation to dictate how you view God. You are welcome. And in fact, we're about to see a story about how this idea of welcome changed not just the life of one person, but the lives of now over seven billion and is influencing people around the world even to this day. 
So we're talking about this man named Barnabas, but today we're going to be introduced to another character, another person that if you've been in church before, you know this name. His name is the Apostle Paul. And in fact, I love this picture because this is, this is like the epitome of what we think of as Paul. He's got that very stoic, very scholarly look. And look, somehow he got the King James Bible before King James got the Bible. I love it. It's great. But the Apostle Paul is one of the superheroes of the faith. After all, he wrote 13 books of the New Testament. That's almost half of the New Testament. He planted churches across the known world in Jerusalem, Syria, modern-day Turkey, Italy, Palestine. He was everywhere. And now today, because he wrote so many letters that have been compiled in our Bibles, he is one of the world's most accomplished, and most bought authors in history. Over five billion Bibles have been purchased, and that says nothing of the number of free downloads and everything else. What am I trying to tell you? That when we think of Paul, we often think of this version, the man whose love for God and transformation is so great that he did great things. But here's what you need to know. Before he was known as the apostle Paul, he was known as the persecutor Saul. His story was not one of, I love Jesus, but rather, I'm going to crush the church. In fact, the very first time we meet this man is when he held the coats of other men who took large rocks and threw them at another Christ follower named Stephen. And they threw rocks until he died, crushed his skull, his life gone out, and Paul stands there with the coats of the ones killing him, giving approval. This is the man. And in fact, where we pick up the story today, he is in Damascus. And he's there because he was sent on behalf of the leaders of the Jewish people who wanted to stamp out the Christian movement. It was called the way, the way of God, the way of the Christ. And so he goes to the city of Damascus where he's going to arrest Christians and he's going to bring them back to Jerusalem to be tried, imprisoned, and in some cases executed. But on his way, Jesus meets him. Friend, aren't you glad that Jesus still meets people? That he comes to you. We don't find him. I always get tickled when people say, I found God. No, you didn't. Jesus wasn't lost. You were lost. He found you. And Jesus finds Paul. Although he was not known as Paul, he finds Saul. He knocks him off his donkey. And then he says, I'm the one you're persecuting. His life is changed. He becomes a believer in Jesus. He is baptized. And then he begins to do something radical. And that's where we come to in chapter 9. So it begins like this. Saul spent several days with the disciples in, notice this word, Damascus. Now, Saul, this is the name he was given at birth. It's not the one we know him as well. But he was with the disciples. Now, disciples, that's simply the name for someone who follows Jesus. You may know the word Christian. That means little Christ. But disciple means someone who follows, who does what someone else does, who says what someone else says. In other words, to be a Christian means you follow Jesus. You do what Jesus does. You say what Jesus says. You think what Jesus thinks. You model your life after Jesus. And he's in Damascus originally to persecute, but then Jesus saves him and he begins to bless. Now, at once he began to preach. In the synagogues. The synagogues were the Jewish church of the day. That Jesus is the Son of God. Radical change. It goes on though. All those who heard him were astonished. I bet they were. And asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc? Notice this. 
in Jerusalem among those who call on this name Jesus? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? In other words, they're saying his reputation, we know this guy. And his actions do not line up with who we knew him to be. Now, he finishes time in Damascus, and he heads back to Jerusalem. And this is where we go. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But, notice this, they were all afraid of him. Now, in the original Greek, there's a little word left out. It's no duh, okay? No, it's not really in there, but... They were afraid of him. Why? They not believed that he really was a disciple. In fact, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. Here's what we know from Galatians chapter 1. The disciple they want, that he wanted to meet up with the most, do you know who it was? It was Peter. Peter, the spokesperson of the apostles. And get this, this little phrase... He tried. In the Greek, that phrase literally means it's an ongoing action. He did not try once. He kept trying and kept being rebuffed by the church, by Peter. Now, I just want to pause for a moment. See, a lot of times you have someone who is a Saul, and there's a decision or desire to become something different. And frankly, there are times where there's Saul's and they have no desire to change. Isn't that also true? By the way, just a quick question, friends. Have you ever been in a place that you knew you should change, but you did not want to change? Man, absolutely, I have. So you have a Saul, who we know now as Paul. But between Saul and Paul is a gap. And the gap has to be bridged. The gap has to be shortened. Now, Jesus has already called Saul by a new name and said, you are my child. You are part of my family, whether or not my kids want you to be or not. But there's still a gap. Can you imagine what would have happened if Saul was never welcomed into the church? Just curious, do you think there's a chance that some of the letters that you and I listen to, that we read and find such encouragement, would never have been written? Is it possible that had he not been brought in and encouraged to take his next steps, that he would not have planted churches. By the way, we kind of know that's what would have happened. Just read chapters 11 and 13 in Acts. So what, what, what changed? See, I think so much of us, so many of us, we come to this point where we've all been on the outside. We've been unwelcome. And for some of us, we're on the outside because, well, someone else just doesn't like us. Or because of gossip. Or because of something that's happened to us. But if we're honest, a lot of us have been on the outside because of the things we've done. In fact, friends, as I've already said, the scriptures say that all of us, by choice, are on the outside with God. We have done things that have broken the heart of God. We have chosen to walk away from Him. And there's a gap between who we are and who God knows we should be and can be. And Jesus comes and he says, I will bridge that gap. But sometimes we need a physical representation to say, I will welcome you in. And so there's this moment, what would happen? What would happen? Because the reality is simply this. We change before our reputation changes. Paul wants in, but people don't know who he is now. They just know who he was. The murdering, persecuting attacker of the faith. And so he wants in, but he can't get in. And so what changes? What changes? Well, the next verse, go ahead and put this on screen. It says this, but Barnabas, but 
the encourager, but the one, Joseph, who is known to be a welcomer. But Barnabas, I can have a quick question this morning. Friend, if you and I were in this moment, would your name be in that place? Would my name be in that place? Would we be people who represent Jesus, who always say, come on in and not stay out? But Barnabas took him, took Paul. And I want you to see, he does three things. He took him. And number two, he brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord. And that the Lord had spoken to him. And how in Damascus he had preached fiercely. Notice this third thing, in the name of Jesus. Three things that welcoming people do. Because here's what you need to know. Encouragers are welcomers. Encouragers are welcomers. Encouragers say, you can do it and I'm here with you. Encouragers are welcomers. You can never encourage if you do not welcome because if you keep people out, there's no way to welcome them. There's no way to encourage. There are three things, and I just want you to jot this down this morning because as a representative of Christ, or maybe, or maybe, I know some of you, you have no relationship with Jesus. That's okay. We're glad you're here. Let me just tell you, you don't even have to believe any of this to believe and agree that this is true. That you can change a life by welcoming someone in who's on the outside. Isn't that true? You don't have to believe in Jesus to welcome people in, do you? Now, I'm going to show you something here in a moment that will help. But for anyone in here, you can change a life at school tomorrow by welcoming someone in. You can change the life of someone in your workplace by welcoming them in. But I want to show you there are three things that happen, three reasons, three ways. And we get this from Barnabas. Notice this. First thing it says that he took him in. In other words, encouraging people, welcoming people, look for the left out and the lonely. Welcoming people, have eyes for people who are on the outside. Think about this with me for a moment. It is not that we don't have people around us who need to be welcomed. It is simply that many of us do not see the people who need to be brought in. Isn't that true? Cricket, cricket. Okay, let's try this again. We have people who need to be brought in at school, at work, in our neighborhoods, in our places of business and play. True? So, here's the thing. Why is it that we sometimes don't see people? Let's talk brain science for a minute. Are you ready? I want to put something up here. Research has shown that you have a mind. You're going, really? Yes, you do. It's fantastic. And your mind, your mind, 5% of all the things you think, all the stuff you think about on a regular basis, only 5% of it is conscious thought that you're intentionally thinking about. That means 95% of what you do is subconscious. If you have children, you wonder if that number isn't a little high for that or a little low for that. Here's why. Let's think for a moment here. Let's just talk for a second. This morning, how many of you brushed your teeth? I really hope all the hands go up this morning. When you brush your teeth this morning, quick question, did you consciously think through where you begin and how you go? Did you go, okay, I always start here and then I work my way around and then I kind of come around? No. That was a subconscious behavior, something you just do out of practice, out of habit. Only 5% of what you do, you do consciously. You say, I'm not sure I buy it. Okay, let's do this. Um, How many of you, go ahead, how many of you can feel your foot right now? Go ahead, next slide. You feel your foot, right? Um, uh, What about, uh, do you feel the sock in your foot or maybe the warmth or maybe a little sweaty, whatever it may be, right, this morning? Or maybe you're like, I I can feel the hardness of the concrete underneath. I can feel the breeze because I'm wearing sandals or whatever it may be, right? But here's the reality. 
My guess is you did not notice your foot until I mentioned your foot. Am I right? You weren't just sitting there going, oh, that sock feels good. No. But as soon as I mention it, all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah, I have feet. That's great. Here's what's interesting. Your brain did not begin sending signals to and from your foot when you thought about it. Rather, it was in the moment that you began thinking about it that your brain reclicked in and from the subconscious it became conscious. What am I trying to tell you? You notice things and you know things often only when you engage your mind on purpose. It's like when I said... Do you notice your foot? You didn't have to go on the journey to discovery your foot. It's like, I know it's here somewhere. I can find it. You just said, I'm choosing to pay attention to it. And then you notice all sorts of things. Have you ever heard the phrase, walk a mile in someone else's shoes? What is that? It is simply saying, I am paying attention, I am willing, and I am intentionally thinking about another person, their situation, where they're from. Isn't it interesting that everyone else saw Saul, but only Barnabas took Saul? See, to be a welcoming presence in your workplace or in your school, it begins by recognizing you're not the only person in the universe, that there are other people around you with their insecurities and their sense of need and their lack, and you are the gift from God to be the one to bridge the gap, to invite them in. This is not just true in church. This is true everywhere you go. And the first thing we see is that Barnabas took Saul. By the way, I love that phrase, he took him. That word in Greek literally means he grabbed him. Can you imagine that moment? A guy who's been getting the cold shoulder, the stiff arm, has someone come over and say, you, come with me. Your story's not over. He said, you come. You come. Well, come. The first thing, first thing, is that all of us as Christ followers, as men and women of God, or if you're not even a Christ follower, the first step, if you want to make someone's life better, if you want to change the world, change the life of someone else, welcome them in. Look for the left out and the lonely. And as you consider it, you will see people. You will see needs. Second thing is Paul, Saul, needed someone to risk their reputation for him, didn't he? Consider this for a moment. What was his reputation when he originally left Jerusalem. It was not this magnanimous evangelist for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It wasn't the church planter. It wasn't the promoter of God. He was known as the murdering persecutor. That's what he was known for. And so when he comes back home, he is known for what he used to be. Isn't it true that so many of us are known for what we were? We're not known for what we are now. And isn't it also true that sometimes the hardest place to be known for who you are now is the place you grew up? Isn't it true that sometimes the places that you spent the most time, people will only remember your worst moments? My dad a few months ago took me and we went up to Oak Ridge, Tennessee. That's where he was born and raised. And I'd been there hundreds of times before growing up, but he said, let's just you and I go and he wanted to show me his old stomping ground, and he began to take me from place to place and show me the different things he did. And he took me to this one hill, I love it, this one hill where his high school used to be. And he said, hey, you see that hill right there? I said, yay. We went out and we walked on the hill. He says, it was right about here. 
that I had borrowed my daddy's car, and I saw this hill, and I thought, I bet I can ride down that. I got it stuck. He said, so my dad had a call tow. They got it out. He said, but for months, for months, that was all anyone could remember was I was a kid who got dad's car stuck. And, and then he goes, hey, and you see over here, and he shows me another area where he did something. He goes, yeah, and people just knew me for that. And then we go over here, and this is what people know me for. See, what happens is when you are on the outside, the way you come in is when someone else risks their own reputation, uses it as capital to welcome you in. They vouch for you, they invite you, and they say, you can have a seat with me. See, Barnabas didn't simply take him. He then took him to the apostles. And what does he do? He begins to say, let me tell you who he really is. He's with me. He is a follower of Jesus. And we welcome, we welcome And he risked, don't get me wrong, there was genuine risk in welcoming Saul. Because if the other believers were right and Saul was not a a, a converted disciple, if this was all a ruse, then Barnabas' life, his reputation, his livelihood, everything was on the line. But Barnabas said, there's a gap between who you were and who you are, and I will stand in the gap. There's a risk to welcoming. But at church, in this case, I think the risk was worth it. And I want you to know, you have, you have in your life, you have Saul's people whose past haunts them. You maybe be someone that today where you say there are things that haunt my life and I wish that I could be over here and there is a gap. Friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ has bridged the gap. If you want new life, it is as simple as following Christ, saying yes to him, being baptized. But sometimes we need a human to say to us what God has already said to us, don't we? We need, <laughs> we need God with skin on sometimes. We don't just need to hear about it. We need to see it. He risked his reputation. Now listen, listen. If you're not a follower of Jesus, again, we're so glad you're here. These two things you can do today. You look for the left out and lonely. You can risk your reputation. But I want to tell you, if you're followers of Jesus, this is for you. Hear me now. There's a reason why we do this. After all, why would I risk my reputation for someone else? Why would I look for others? Why would I disadvantage myself? Why would I give up my own relational capital for another person? And here's the big reason. Did you notice how many times he referenced the Lord and Jesus when talking about what Paul was doing? See, at the center of our story is a man who was God who welcomes us. And number three, he remembers Jesus, welcomes everyone. Encouragers, welcomers, remember that Jesus welcomes everyone. Or maybe you just want to strike that word everyone and simply put the word, Jesus welcomed me. Jesus welcomed you. Jesus found you. Jesus loves you. Maybe you're not a follower today, but if you are here, you need to know it's because God is after you. He loves you. He is on you. He wants you to be a part of his family. He is here to welcome you today. And I don't care what your past says, because Jesus says he is here to take care of your past, to give you hope for the present, and a life in the future with him. Remember that Jesus welcomed you and me. See, at the core of our story, it doesn't begin with Barnabas. It doesn't begin with Saul. It begins with Jesus. 
In fact, if we were to go backwards in time just a little bit, only three and a half, four years maybe earlier, there's this moment where our Savior is talking to a group of people and He wants you to know that He welcomes you. He wants you to know today, and I'm here to tell you 2,000 years later in Hickson, Tennessee, that He welcomes you because in Matthew chapter 11, notice what Jesus says. Come to me. Come to me. Who? All you. Or in southern, it's all y'all. Come to me. Who? Be addicted. If you're addicted, you come to me. Who? If you've had an abortion, you come to me. Who? If you've had a divorce, maybe it wasn't your fault or maybe it was, you come to me. Who? Maybe today you have been abused or you are the abuser. Come to me. Today you're the one who has lied, stolen, you've cheated. He says, you come to me. Is there any qualifier on who can come to Jesus? And the church says, no. Amen? Because here's the reality. Jesus did not put a list of qualifiers. He says, well, come to me. He doesn't simply say, sure, I guess if you want. It's rather, I'm coming to you. I desire a relationship with you. And if you will simply say, yes, we can be together forever. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Because here's where most of us find ourselves when we say yes to Jesus. We have lived life and we found that alone it doesn't work. And he says, there's a gap, but I have bridged the gap. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And this is why I think Paul, some years later, after experiencing the grace of God through the life of the body of Christ and receiving the gift of grace through Jesus, he writes in Romans 15 these words. And I wonder if he thought back to this moment when he says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. What is it? Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. I have a question this morning. Have you been accepted by Jesus? Did Jesus find you, my friend Saul? And maybe he found you at the moment where you're about to do the worst thing of your life, and it was in that moment, the place of darkness, that he said, I'm going to change you from who you were. Have you been brought in and accepted by God? He says, well, then accept others. Yeah, but Jesus, you don't know what they've done. He goes, are you kidding me? I got the highlight reel. Yeah, but Jesus, you don't know where they've been. Notice when Barnabas welcomed Saul, he didn't ask him, are you sincere? He didn't ask him, do you understand what you did was wrong? He said, you come because I've been invited. Now you get to be invited. Here's my question this morning. Do you know anyone who's a Saul who, by God's grace, needs to be a Paul? Anyone here this morning that you want to bridge the gap for, that God is calling you, do you have eyes to see? Are you willing to risk reputation? Because you remember that Jesus welcomed you. This is what it means to be welcoming because we have been welcomed. I'm going to tell you this morning, if you have not yet come to faith in Jesus, if you've not said yes to the goodness of God and put Christ on in baptism, that can change this morning. The invitation's here. You understand that when you walk out your door in the morning, the welcome is there. 
When you walk in here this morning, the welcome is here. That Jesus Christ's desire for you is that you will come to know him. And the welcome is here. Have you said yes to Jesus yet? We're going to give you a moment. We're going to pray here. And if there's anything we can do, you can find us. We'll be at the back here. I will be at the next step table. If I can serve you, if you're ready to learn more about what it means to follow Christ, we will talk and we will help you take that next step. But here's what you need to know. Jesus welcomes you. The church welcomes you. And no matter your past, the sign above the door of the family of God is welcome. Because Jesus put it there. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. And I thank you that you welcomed each of us. You know more about me than anyone And yet you called me your child. You know more about each of us than anyone. And yet you say, come to me. If you're tired, if you're worn out, if you're burdened, you come to me. I'll fix it for you, child. And so, Lord, today we thank you that you welcome us and that we now get to welcome others. I pray that as we stand in the gap with you, that you will draw more people to the grace of Jesus Christ. I pray for my friends in here this morning who desperately need to know that they're not alone. For my friends in this room that desperately need to know that their past does not dictate their future. Lord, we pray that you will welcome them and remind them that because of what you offer, they can have life again. We ask this now. In Jesus' name, amen.